Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Just the other night, Peter and I saw a new SeaWorld television commercial, which was a little surprising. But if you've been following the happenings at SeaWorld, then it probably would make sense to you. Finally, after a lot of pressure from the animal advocacy community and concerned individuals everywhere, SeaWorld has publicly acknowledged that captive breeding of orcas is no longer an acceptable practice and they have discontinued their breeding program. Now, we can debate what exactly has led to this policy change, but believe me, finances definitely had something to do with it as the SeaWorld stock price has plummeted and remains a fraction of what it used to be. I want to welcome back to the show Dr. Tony Frohoff. Dr. Frohoff is in defense of animals, elephant and cetacean expert. Welcome back to the show, Tony. Hi, nice to talk to you again, Lori. Tony, is this good news? It's great that uh, SeaWorld is not going to uh, breed more orcas, if we can believe what they say. Um, sure, um, that would be fewer orcas suffering horrific lives. Right. Um, especially given the high mortality rate of orcas in captivity. Um, The real problem is that uh, SeaWorld seems to have forgotten that orcas are dolphins, and they are the largest members of the dolphin family. And while they have stopped breeding orcas, they're still going to be exploiting bottlenose dolphins and doubling up on that. And so the bottlenose dolphins are going to take the brunt. Also, when it comes to the orcas, um, something really critical is being overlooked here. is that SeaWorld has a great opportunity to put these orcas who have suffered for all these years uh, into a situation of sanctuary, you know, into perhaps even uh, pens where they can be in natural seawater. Um, They could actually give these orcas true retirement and they are not doing that so it's good news it's great news in the sense of being preventative for future generations of orcas but it is absolutely not enough SeaWorld knows better and they should do better for these orcas Tony give us a brief summary of the problems of orcas in captivity for those listeners who might not be familiar with the issues the problems that orcas have in captivity uh really are uh, such as those which elephants do, um, they, they really exemplify the problems that wild animals have when trying to live and cope in a captive environment. Um, these are wild animals, no matter how well trained. And orcas are among the most intelligent and social and far-ranging of all animals on the planet. So when we deprive them of their natural environment and even the most basic space within which they can exhibit their most essential behaviors, uh, we take away what's not only wild from them, but what is reasonably healthy for them. So orcas, elephants, they really are amongst the most social of all species, including humans. And yet we take away from them what means the most to us which would be freedom and family. So SeaWorld announced they're going to discontinue their breeding program of orcas. Tony, why do you think they did so at this time? SeaWorld, as most of your listeners probably know, have been under scrutiny. And this is really a relief to people like myself who've been, you know, studying uh, and, and criticizing these programs for decades. I mean, I was involved in a study that looked at SeaWorld petting pools. I mean, they used to have orcas in the petting feeding pools. Uh, They still have bottlenose dolphins, and they have swim programs with bottlenose dolphins. But, I mean, years ago, if if I, even as a scientist, said anything against SeaWorld, you know, which was considered the best of all possible captivity, uh, captive facilities for dolphins, um, that would be heresy. But now we're, I mean, it's great that um, SeaWorld has been exposed enough that the lies that they've been telling the public about the orcas and the other marine animals who live there have been revealed. Um, Of course, movies like Blackfish, um, even movies like The Cove and others that expose the horrendous ways in which cetaceans are captured and 
the horrific conditions in which they're forced to live in captivity, uh, people are more aware of that now, at least some people. But I want to emphasize also, while we're talking, Lori, that although SeaWorld is getting um, some attention for what they certainly deserve to be seen as, um, the occurrence of some of the dolphin programs and dolphin captures around the world are going up exponentially. Mm. Orcas, again, coming back to orcas being representative of, yes, there are amazing, amazing individuals with some of the most peaceful and social um, cultures and social systems on the planet. Um, in the same sense, on one hand, the SeaWorld news is great. And on the other hand, SeaWorld not only needs to do more uh, to put these orcas into true retirement, but also to protect bottlenose dolphins who live there who are now going to be doubly exploited. Absolutely. Tony, recently SeaWorld CEO Joel Manby announced that the orca theatrical shows will end in 2017 in San Diego and 2019 in the San Antonio and Orlando parks. So uh, obviously we seem to be making some progress here, but what's going to happen to the orcas who are still in their tanks? That is the question of the year or maybe the decade, Lori. Um, what is going to happen to these orcas? Uh, they may not be forced to perform ridiculous acts to uh, entertain crowds, but I invite your listeners, well, actually, I, I hope they don't give their money to any captive dolphin facilities because that only supports uh, the capture and maintenance of Citations in captivity. But if anybody's listening and wants to look at orcas who are suffering, um, you can do what I do and, and go to uh, SeaWorld in between shows and look at the orcas and see how listless they are and how, um, in one case, I just saw one orca just sitting in his own feces in one corner, somewhat mindlessly, just facing the wall for over an hour. Um, and you can see the dramatic difference in the psychological well-being um, of these orcas from their wild counterparts. So even if they can't be returned to the wild, which sounds idyllic, isn't always feasible, um, the SeaWorld has a great opportunity to give the rest of these orcas a chance, a true retirement and true sanctuary. And SeaWorld has a rare opportunity. They've admitted what they've done is not working. So why don't they go ahead and fix it and show what true orca sanctuary can be? Do you know that we have um, sanctuaries for pretty much every uh, wild animal in the world except for cetaceans, dolphins, and, and, and whales? And you mentioned earlier there are these sea pens where they could go and they're safe? They're not built yet specifically for orcas, but they are absolutely possible to be created. Can captive orcas be released to the wild? The commercial we saw stated that orcas released to the wild from captivity will not survive. First of all, SeaWorld cannot say that orcas can or cannot be released to the wild because they've never tried. And the few attempts that have been made have been, for example, in the case of Keiko, uh, they, that was a situation in which, you know, a free willy fame. Uh, Keiko was what many would consider to be a very poor candidate for reintroduction to the wild. Um, and SeaWorld would be shooting itself in, in their feet, so to speak, if they say that orcas can't be released to the wild. Um, because, first of all, they could at least be sent to a sanctuary that SeaWorld certainly has the money to build. And SeaWorld could build the first sanctuary for orcas and dolphins um, ever that it would exist in, on the planet. And um, instead of continuing their lies about not being ever released into the wild, they could start by putting them in sanctuary. Second of all, unlike the situation with Keiko, we know the family members of some of the orcas who are still forced to live in, in, in SeaWorld tanks are still alive. We can identify the family members, and we know that some of them are still alive. And so SeaWorld has an incredibly good opportunity to at least research the potential. If SeaWorld cares about conservation, SeaWorld will look into the value that creating sanctuary and at least exploring reintroduction to the wild um, that they have 
because that's what conservation is all about, is uh, for putting animals back into the wild. But they've done none of that. Dr. Tony Frohoff, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And if your listeners want to know any more about our new uh, orca and dolphin program, please do visit IDAUSA.org and we'll uh, be on top of this. Thanks so much, Lori. Hey, Lori, do you like Jägermeister? Yeah. Not me. The one time I had it, that was enough for the rest of my life. But there is a little doggy named Jägermeister who is very, very lucky uh, to be alive. And he uh, was at sea with his owner about five miles out off the coast of, off the Gulf Coast of Florida. And the owner went down to do a little work below. And apparently the dog jumped off or went overboard. He had a cute little, one of those cute little vests that we always talk about how cute they are. Anyway, the owner came up apparently frantically and just uh, started looking for him and drove all around and couldn't find it, called in a dog overboard to the Coast Guard and after three hours sort of, sort of gave up. Well, another pair of couples on a different boat happened to find Jägermeister. And uh, they initially they thought it was a buoy or something, and they started circling around. And they realized it was a dog just in the middle of nowhere with his vest on, and he was shaking like a leaf. And they got him in into the boat, and after about thirty minutes, he calmed down, and they ends up being this happy, playful Jack Russell Terrier, and he uh, was uh, ultimately uh, reunited uh, with his with his owner. And that's one lucky little Jägermeister, wouldn't you say? You bet. You're listening to Animals Today Radio, your home for serious talk about animals. Now in its eighth year, Animals Today covers all animal-related topics and issues worldwide with an emphasis on animal welfare. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit animal welfare organization Advancing the Interests of Animals. Its mission is to improve the lives of animals and to encourage increased compassion and respect for all living beings. Check them out at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. Your donation to Advancing the Interests of Animals will support the ongoing production of Animals Today. Just visit AIanimals.org and click Support Us. And thanks for listening. For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. Hello, I'm Linda Gray, and I lost my mother and a dear friend to Alzheimer's disease. Nearly two-thirds of the five and a half million Americans suffering from Alzheimer's are women. Join the fight to help find treatments and cures for Alzheimer's faster by registering at brainhealthregistry.org. We collect vital research information online for free. Please do your part. I'm doing mine. Brainhealthregistry.org. Hello, I'm Jerry Mathers. I was the beaver in Leave it to Beaver. When I played the beaver on TV, I often got into trouble without even meaning to. Well, years later, after I left Hollywood, I got into real trouble. My blood sugar was through the roof. When I was diagnosed with type 2, I was shocked. Now, the very same natural remedies I use to control my type 2 diabetes are available for you in a super easy program called the Diabetes Solution Kit. If you have diabetes, I urge you to try this step-by-step plan. It has all the natural techniques I used, and it works a lot faster, too. And today, you can try this fast and easy solution without risk. I'm Jerry Mathers, and if I can do it, you can do it, too. If you'd like to normalize your blood sugar and stop taking your diabetes medication completely with your doctor's approval, go to jerrymathers33.com for your free video. That's jerrymathers33.com. Reverse your diabetes in as little as 30 30 days by going to jerrymathers33.com now. This is Rick Osick, president of Famous Footwear. Our company is working together with the March of Dimes through March for Babies to raise money and awareness about the serious problem of premature birth in the U.S. As a business leader, I know that babies born very sick or too soon cost businesses billions of dollars each year, in addition to the emotional stress on employees and their families. That's why Famous Footwear is committed to raising funds to improve the health of moms and babies everywhere. Won't you please join us in the March for Babies? Start a team today at marchforbabies.org.
So welcome back to the show. One of the things in pet care that causes a lot of confusion or guilt even is oral hygiene and brushing teeth, right, Lori? Yeah, we brush our dog's mm-hmm. teeth. We do, and uh, but do we do it enough? Do we do it right? Yeah. And what should you do about your cat? That's a whole other question we should attack someday. Right now, our current crew of cats, I don't think they'd love it. Anyway, so we uh, sought to poll our friends on the app SpeakBeat at speakbeat.com about their habits relating to brushing their dog's teeth, right? So you go to speakbeat.com or you go to the app store and you download the app and you can poll your friends and see all sorts of uh, interesting uh, questions about all elements of modern culture, speakbeat.com. And we use that as a way to put this question out here. So here's the question. Doggy guardians, do you brush your dog's teeth? Very simple, right? And so the answer, possible answers, which I wrote, yes, regularly, once in a while, rarely, or this question makes me feel guilty. What do you think, Lori? I think most people would think that this question makes them feel very guilty. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're right. 47% answered that way. And uh, the other answers were once in a while, 33%, rarely 13%, and yes, regularly 7%. Yeah. Although we brush our dog's teeth, I do feel guilty that we don't brush them enough. And I know we should be brushing them every day. Or at least every other day. I think daily brushing is the official recommendation. Yeah. We we really should get on that. It's easy. And our dogs, they don't mind it. They don't mind it. We buy the peanut flavor toothpaste from Petco and, and they love it. So here's the other question we pose to our friends. Which of these five songs about cats is your favorite? Okay. Just a little fun here. Answers uh, that we, we wrote were Cat Scratch Fever. The Year of the Cat, Our House, Stray Cat Strut, and What's Up Pussycat. Stray Cat <laughs> Strut is my that's, favorite. Is that's your favorite? Well, I'll tell you, I might have biased the answers because I also posted a picture of Tom Jones along with this. So that may have influenced some of the answers. But uh, our group, 41% chose What's Up Pussycat as their favorite song about cats. Wow. Uh, the Year of the Cat was number two with 24%. Our House, and then Stray Cat Strut and Cat Scratch Fever, only 6%. The followers tend to be younger people, so I'm surprised they picked this one, Tom, with Tom also. Jones. Yeah. This uh, uh, population is heavily millennial, although it's got a bunch of uh, people of all ages. Anyway. Maybe they just like the title, What's Up, Pussycat? What's up? A recent New York Post headline shouts, Being a vegetarian could kill you, science warns. So... This has caused quite a controversy. This is a follow-up to a paper out of Cornell University researchers who did a genetic analysis. Did the authors really want to make that conclusion? Is the paper stating their conclusions properly? Uh, We wanted to bring on Dr. Michael Greger to help us interpret this because it's causing quite a little controversy in the community. Dr. Greger is Director of Public Health and Animal Welfare at the Humane Society of the United States, and you can also find him at nutritionfacts.org and drgregor.org. Hi, Dr. Greger. Hello, hello. Okay, so uh, this article appearing in the New York Post got everyone all excited. What is the research paper it's referring to? So, I mean, the research paper didn't say anything of a type. In fact, you contact the you know chief investigator, the person that published the paper, the researcher, and says that uh, that uh, absolutely that all these headlines have no basis in reality at all. Basically, what they did is compared a genetic marker in a population in India, uh, most of whom ate meat, um, to a U.S. population and found high rates of a gene variant that facilitates the elongation of omega-6 fatty acids. They found higher rates in India, which they speculated may have come from kind of evolutionary natural selection over generations of a population that historically has been about 40% vegetarian. It says nothing about the health of U.S. vegetarians or Indian vegetarians for that matter. And even if you did have this gene variant, you just avoid omega-6-rich oils like sunflower, safflower, or cottonseed oil, corn oil, which is a good idea anyway. So this is kind of a classic uh, man-bites-dog story media nonsense. Um, uh, But I think it just goes to show um, the kind of straws people will clutch to 
um, to try to justify some of their bad habits when there's really just an overwhelming consensus within the uh, nutrition community going back decades as to the core um, elements of healthy eating, um, and uh, that is that we should increase our intake of whole healthy plant foods like fruits and vegetables, limit our intake of animal foods and processed foods. The public needs and really deserves to know um, that uh, the core elements of healthy living, there really is no controversy. Um, but, uh, you know, telling people to eat broccoli doesn't sell magazines or newspapers and telling people to eat, uh, you know, um, bacon and butter or telling people that uh, apples are going to hurt them will certainly uh, do that. I agree with you about people grasping at straws. You get an article like this out in the newspaper, and it does give a people who sort of know maybe they are not eating right a little bit of, you know, justification to ignore everything else, doesn't it? Well, you know, it's a classic tobacco industry tactic, sowing confusion, muddying the waters in hopes that people just throw up their hands and eat whatever's put in front of them. You know, there's a you know, classic tobacco industry internal memo called Doubt is Our Product. That was, the, that was a PR firm hired by the tobacco industry that explained that you don't have to convince people that, you know, uh, smoking is good for you. You just have to introduce doubt. You say, look, some scientists say it causes lung cancer. Some, say, some scientists say it doesn't cause lung cancer. So, you know, all you have to do is introduce doubt, and then people will then not have the strong motivation to change. You will just keep up the profitable yet deadly um, habits. So, uh, you know, these kind of uh, stories, you know, sell a lot of newspapers, but really sell the public short. So do you think that's the mo- motivation for the New York Post uh, writing their headline like this and covering it oh, in this yeah. fashion? I mean, it's classic kind of clickbait. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, it's really, I mean, these kind of stories, you know, it's not just a matter of, of uh, you know, uh, I mean, they don't understand the consequences of their... I mean, if it actually did change people's dietary habits or prevented people from changing their dietary habits, I mean, that kind of article could kill people, literally kill people. Um, And so, I mean, I don't know if they realize the gravity of the situation. I mean, the good news is we have tremendous power over our health, destiny, and longevity. The vast majority of premature death and disability is preventable with a plant-based diet and other healthy lifestyle behaviors. But the flip side of that is that we have tremendous power to harm ourselves. And uh, these kind of uh, media uh, twisting of the science um, uh, is uh, not doing anyone any good. Again, it's not the sun. There's no controversy within the science. Um, it's just the way the media uh, chooses to portray the science. So it's, as always, it's always important to go to the source um, and actually look at the uh, at the scientific literature. This paper is open access, meaning anyone can access it and look at it, and anyone with any science background um, could see that it has nothing to do with a sort. It has the email of the principal author. You could email the scientist. Yeah, Wait a second. Is this New York Post article correctly, really, you know, uh, describing your work? And uh, if they have enough time to get back to you, they'll, I'm sure they have some, some, some cut and paste response by now since they get deluged. And they would, they would say this has nothing to do with what we're doing. Dr. Michael Greger, thanks for clearing that up for us and look forward to speaking to you soon. You look upset. I am, and I'm not sure what to do. My neighbor's dog is tied up outside. He looks very skinny and sick, and I never see food or clean water given to him. You need to report this right away. What do you mean? You should call Animal Services or the police and tell them about the abused and neglected dog. They can help to make sure the dog is properly taken care of. Okay, I can't stand to watch him suffer anymore. What's the number? Even though most of us take good care of our pets, not everyone treats dogs and cats with the care and compassion they need to be safe and healthy. If you see that a dog or cat is not being treated properly, report it to animal services or the police right away. Pets need food and clean water and protection from extreme weather. You can make the difference, and you don't have to give your name. Help stop pet abuse and neglect. Be their voice. Make the call. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org.
There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. I'm Bob Dorigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. Class action lawsuits play an important role in our justice system. They can make it easier for large groups of people who have been injured or harmed to obtain justice by sharing legal representation. However, a petition filed recently with the U.S. Supreme Court reveals that an alarming number of class action lawsuits are enriching the lawyers while their clients get almost nothing. For example, a class action lawsuit filed over a popular brand of batteries resulted in a payday for the lawyers of $5.7 million, but their clients got less than $350,000 combined. Put another way, the lawyers got 94% of the settlement money, while their clients got only 6%. That's only five cents for each of the 7 million folks who were harmed. Let's be fair. Compare that to the already high 33% charged by most of the contingency fee lawyers advertising on TV, and we can see just how outrageous that is. So how can this happen? Learn how by visiting our website at centerforamericatv.org. Thanks for calling Consolidated Credit Counseling Services. Can I help you? I sure hope so. I'm in debt. Is it credit card bills? Yes, I have two credit cards that I'm making minimum payments on and another that I'm behind on. I owe about $5,000. What interest rates are you paying? Between 18 and 22%. At that rate, it'll take over 20 years to pay off. Wow, 20 years? What Consolidated Credit can do is work with your creditors to lower your payments and reduce or even eliminate your interest charges. You should be able to pay everything off in three or four years. What do I have to do? Just give me some details and get ready to celebrate your freedom from debt. We're Consolidated Credit. We're here to give you freedom from debt. Call now for your free consultation. If I had known it was this easy, I would have called years ago. Call 1-800-897-8374. 1-800-897-8374. That's 1-800-897-8374. Consolidated Credit Counseling Services Incorporated, 5701 West Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33313. Not a loan company, licensed by New York Department of Financial Services and by the Vermont Department of Financial Regulation, Maryland DM19, Oregon DM80031. Do you hear that ringing? I've heard that ringing in my ears for over 20 years. My doctor said... The ringing and buzzing in your ears is called tinnitus, and you're just going to have to learn to live with it. The constant ringing in my ears is annoying. I've tried everything, and nothing worked. So I invested my own money, met with doctors, specialists, and certified labs. After a decade of research, we've developed Tinoxyl, a prescription-free, 100% natural and effective way to stop the ringing. And better yet, it helps me sleep. Trying to sleep with ringing in my ears is almost impossible. But with Tinoxyl, I started sleeping better in the first couple weeks. I'm so confident that Tinoxyl will help you too that I'm giving the first 100 callers a free 30-day supply. Don't let the ringing in your ears control your life. Call now and get your free 30-day supply. Just pay shipping. Take back control of your life. Combat the ringing and start sleeping again. Try it for free. Call 800-930-1669. That's 800-930-1669. 800-930-1669. Welcome back to Animals Today. Almost every police force has a canine unit. And as you know, the dogs are very expensive to train and purchase, and the departments really rely upon these dogs in many situations. So what happens if a criminal or a suspect injures or kills one of these dogs while evading or resisting arrest? Because I bet it's not that rare of a situation. There's a recent story I'd like to look at to ask the question, what penalties are appropriate in these cases? With us is our legal analyst, former L.A. animal cruelty prosecutor, Bob Ferber. Hey, Bob. Hi, Lori. How you doing? And Peter's here, too. Hey, Lori. 
Hi, Peter. Hey, Bob. Nice to talk to you guys again. Bob, so there's this case where a police dog named Rocco was fatally stabbed by a man in 2014 when authorities tried to arrest him. Please summarize this case for us. Well, the, uh, Lori, the case involved uh, a suspect, a defendant, who was wanted for uh, violating his probation. And when the sheriff's tried to arrest him, uh, he resisted. They uh, tried to taser him using a non-lethal weapon, uh, and he got away. Well, they were able to apprehend him at one point, and they were using a police dog to... They had him cornered in, uh, an, apart- in an apartment building, in a basement. The police dog was sent in. He's an eight-year-old German Shepherd police dog. And, uh, sorry, everybody, that's my dog. The... Uh, German Shepherd, he ended up stabbing the German Shepherd to death. Uh, he also, by the way, uh, he stabbed several police officers, resisted arrest, try, uh, sort of attacked the police officers. And so he had multiple charges of, uh, of killing the animal and also assault on several police officers. And in the end, a judge uh, gave him a sentence where he got approximately three and a half years for stabbing the the dog and about three and a half years for each attack on the individual police officers for a total of about 17 and a half years jail time. And even though the article, the actual the article suggests, Lori, from a headline that the defendant got 17 and a half years for killing the police dog, he actually got 17 and a half years for killing the police dog and all the other things being on probation and attacking the other police officers and injuring them. So, yeah, Bob, he got about three and a half years for killing, stabbing the dog to death. Is that typical right. for cases like this? Well, uh, there are. this is not something that's um, that uncommon for a police dog to be injured. I, I, I would say it's not that common for them to be killed. But uh, I think most people can, if you can envision... Uh, regardless of whether you're a nice person or not a nice person, when you are being attacked by uh, a police dog, uh, you know, the, the, the way to avoid being injured is to stop moving. Well, that's like people say, oh, if a bear comes up to you, stop moving. Well, that's easier said than done. And uh, in defense of, you know, people who've been attacked by police dogs, what they usually try to do is defend themselves, which makes it worse. They aggravate the the dog has to try harder to control the person by biting more. And unfortunately, in certain situations, if the suspect is armed, they will stab or shoot the dog to death. It does happen. You're right, Bob. In this article, the defendant claimed he stabbed the dog in self-defense. Can you claim self-defense while you're being arrested? Well, (laughs) actually, it's a very, very good question. If you have a scenario of a police officer that, let's say, is a a bad police officer, and he's trying to and you shoplift, and you come out of a store shoplifting, and you took $30 worth of stuff, and this police officer is not a good police officer and loses his temper and tries to kill you, uh, you can defend yourself. Uh, that's unlawful force, and so you can raise the issue of self-defense. And I, it's something that a jury would ultimately have to decide, uh, did the person in trying to you know, in injuring or killing the dog, were they acting reasonably? In most cases, uh, my experience has been that it doesn't work, that the police almost always announce that there's a police dog, that and they almost always give orders uh, and instructions to the person, stop moving, drop to the ground, don't fight with the dog. They tell the person, this is part of their training, uh, is to instruct the suspect how to respond and to be calm. Just like if you have a suspect on the ground and you have three police officers trying to control that person and the person will not stop trying to get up, the police officers will keep screaming, stop struggling and we will let you get up. And if the person keeps struggling and, and, and fighting them, the cops are going to become more aggressive. Well, you can't then say I was defending myself. No, if it's a lawful arrest or the, or the dog is using the appropriate force that he was trained to do, 
then usually you can't raise self-defense. Bob, are the sentences for harming or killing police dogs more severe than someone, say, harming or killing my dog? Absolutely. I've seen, I've had my own cases of of abuse where people have uh, attacked a police dog or injured it, and I've read stories around the country. Uh, There's no question that in most cases, judges are inclined to give a much stiffer sentence when somebody injures or hurts a police dog. Yes. Hey, Bob, you know, hundreds of people attended the funeral for this dog, and uh, consequently, the former governor of Pennsylvania, Tom Corbett, signed what is called Rocco's Law, which increases the penalty for killing a police dog to up to 10 years. What do you think about that? I have mixed feelings about that. As as your your listeners probably know uh, or recall, I, I'm a big animal rescuer, and I have lots of dogs and cats. And uh, the first time I started encountering these cases where judges were more than willing to give very very stiff sentences for killing a dog, my first reaction a police dog, my first reaction was a little bit of being offended. Of wait a minute. What about my dog? My dog was just as important to me as that dog was to that police officer. That uh, that this is my family pet, and I've had other cases where people's animals were abused, and I would struggle to get a stiff sentence of a couple of years in jail. And the judges would typically say, Bob, it's not a human, it's just a dog, you know, 30 days in jail or community service is more than enough. A police dog case would come in, oh, yes, we'll give three years in jail for killing a police dog. So I, you know, as far as being an animal owner, I don't see any difference between the the emotional distress I'm going to feel from losing my dog versus the loss of a police dog. On the other side of it, though, is there is a practical matter. Uh, my dogs have, I've not spent a lot of money on training. In fact, probably should have, but my dogs are not trained, and... Governments will spend upwards of about $20,000 or more to have a, a, a dog, a police, to purchase a police dog. And it can be more than that. Uh, and there's a lot of time and effort involved in the police officer being trained to work with the police dog. So you can make the argument that if a police dog is killed, it's not just the harm to the, the police officer who loved his police dog, but that it's costing the government a tremendous amount of money to replace that. And also, there's another very important factor. You're, by injuring a police dog, you, it's a defiant act against law enforcement. It's a defiant act against legitimate authority. And so there's no question that in the case of a police officer being injured, if I get punched in the nose, by somebody on the street and a police officer gets punched in the nose when he's trying to arrest somebody, it's almost certain that the person's going to get a stiffer sentence for punching the police officer. And it's not because the police officer is individually very special, but that the act is a defiant act against law enforcement and public policy is that we can't tolerate this. We have to have a zero tolerance. So I, I would have to say, Peter, that in the end, as much as I kind of feel a little offended when I hear that a police dog is more protected by the system than my own dog. I understand it. Whether or not your listeners agree with that, it's definitely something for a good dinner conversation. (laughs) Okay. I guess I agree with you at this point. Okay, Bob. Bob Ferber, thanks for uh, enlightening us. Speak to you soon. I always love talking to you guys. And uh, remind your listeners, if they ever want to talk to somebody, they can always reach me at animallawyer at yahoo.com. Fantastic. Love you, Bob. Bye-bye. All right. Take care, guys. I want to share another one of the home modifications we have done in service of the happiness of our cats. Okay, Lori? Yes. And this is, uh, well, I wouldn't call it a home modification. It's a little bit more than that. Okay. So we, uh, we decided to design and build our own house. And so we're sitting down with the architect for the first time. I mean, his head must have exploded when we said, okay, We want you to design this house around a cat habitat. And what we had in mind was an enclosed uh, courtyard so they could have outdoor experience without the risk because we're not in favor of indoor-outdoor cats, right? So ultimately, we did indeed build a house, and the focal point of this house is a courtyard covered 
on all four sides, there's a little kitty door that goes to the inside that we control. We open and close that when we want them to be there. And uh, we've uh, decorated it over the years and there's cat trees out there and a little bit of fake grass. But here's the most important part that really alleviates our worry. We topped the whole thing with this bird netting. So there is a very uh, unobtrusive, uh, but pretty tough nylon mesh that covers this whole space. And it's a couple hundred square feet. So it's a nice space. Boy, if you are a cat, this you are doing okay. If you get to experience this space and this is to prevent any of the unwanted visitors coming down like the raptors we have hawks where we live and uh, they are known to pick up rabbits and uh, small animals and we don't want to get involved in that and even owls even owls oh that's right the owls are, are definitely around and uh unfortunately the cats do encounter little lizards there once in a while and they do hunt them and present them as half-dead presence to us, not that rarely, but I guess that's uh, the life of a cat. Yeah, I guess I don't appreciate the presence they give me now and then. So that is the mother of all cat modifications, wouldn't you say? We also have real grass out there. We discovered the cats love eating real grass. Like this tall desert grass variety, right? Right. Right, not just like a lawn. Today, fun facts for the day are about koalas. When early European settlers first encountered koalas in Australia, they thought the tree-climbing animals were bears or monkeys. Even today, people still incorrectly refer to koalas as koala bears. In fact, koalas, like kangaroos, are actually marsupials, which are also known as pouched mammals because the adult females have a marsupium, or pouch, where their young stay until fully developed. Koalas are only found in Australia, and they are one of that country's iconic symbols. Koalas have special physical characteristics that complement their tree-dwelling lifestyle including their two opposable digits to grip branches and to pick the tasty eucalyptus leaves, their main form of nourishment. And these are your Animals Today fun facts for the day. This is Rick Osick, president of Famous Footwear. Our company is working together with the March of Dimes through March for Babies to raise money and awareness about the serious problem of premature birth in the U.S. As a business leader, I know that babies born very sick or too soon cost businesses billions of dollars each year, in addition to the emotional stress on employees and their families. That's why Famous Footwear is committed to raising funds to improve the health of moms and babies everywhere. Won't you please join us in the March for Babies? Start a team today at marchforbabies.org. You've got better ways to spend your time and money than fiddling around with new blinds. I know, because I've been selling them for nearly 30 years. I'm Jay Steinfeld, founder of Blinds.com. I started my company with a mission to make this overwhelming problem simple. Here's how it works. You call us, and our design consultants guide you to the blinds that are just right for you. We send you free samples, offer free shipping, and walk you through every step of the measuring and installation absolutely free. We've helped millions of homeowners save lots of time and money, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee means you can't get it wrong. We'll do whatever it takes to make you happy and save you up to 30% compared to one of those big retail stores. You can do this, and we'll be with you every step of the way. Right now, Blinds.com is offering 20% off your order. Go to Blinds.com and use promo code DANA, but only until February 29th. Whether it's one window or your whole home, go to Blinds.com and use promo code DANA today. Save 20% between now and February 29th at Blinds.com. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. A monkey, an animal rights organization, and a primatologist walk into a federal court to sue for infringement of the monkey's claimed copyright. Sounds like a joke, right? but it's actually a line from a real court document filed by a lawyer for a photographer who was sued last year by the group People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. To make a long story short, a monkey in Indonesia took a picture of himself using a camera that a nature photographer had left unattended. It was hilarious, and the monkey's selfie went viral. Unfortunately, that's when the real monkey business started, and PETA sued the photographer. It claimed that the monkey, not him, should get any money generated by the photo. Let's be fair. I know our legal system sometimes seems like it's gone bananas, but I'm happy to say that a federal judge has just issued a tentative ruling upholding common sense. He says that a monkey can't own a copyright. PETA, however, pledges to keep fighting. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamericatv.org. Hello, I'm Linda Gray, and I lost my mother and a dear friend to Alzheimer's disease. Nearly two-thirds of the five and a half million Americans suffering from Alzheimer's are women. 
Join the fight to help find treatments and cures for Alzheimer's faster by registering at brainhealthregistry.org. We collect vital research information online for free. Please do your part. I'm doing mine. brainhealthregistry.org. It's Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio, and I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe. From animals in the wild to animals on farms and in agriculture to our beloved dogs and cats, Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. And yes, Animals Today is your home for a serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild, or whether your family should adopt a tortoise, or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love Animals Today. So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and join the discussion on Facebook. Thanks for listening. So it's 30 years after the Chernobyl disaster, which was the largest nuclear disaster ever, And you know what's happening? Animals around the reactor in an area where people have been excluded, the animals are actually thriving. Even 30 years later, experts debate the extent of the damage done after the release of the radioactive material into the atmosphere. A large plume of highly radioactive fallout drifted over large parts of the Soviet Union and Europe. Estimates are that approximately 5,000 human deaths from radiation exposure can be attributed to the radiation, and 31 people died immediately after the accident from acute exposure. Now, in an area of about 10 square kilometers by the plant, conifers were killed by the radiation, but they started coming back the next year. But what we have here... 30 years later, is an experiment whereby we can see what happens to a forest and its animal inhabitants when the people leave. I want to welcome back to the show author, Professor Emeritus, University of Colorado at Boulder, Mark Beckoff. Mark, you have a special interest in this topic. What happened in Chernobyl? What happened in Chernobyl, of course, is just a tragedy, you know, just massive radiation spilling out all over and, you know, killing countless non-human animals and human animals, but what's really surprising is that some 30 years later, there are some populations of animals who were thriving and clearly weren't affected by the radiation, and clearly there are no humans. So, you know, the deduction you can make is that these animals can do well without us around. So, Mark, whether the animals were sort of local and just eventually repopulated or sort of came in from areas that weren't severely affected, uh, the lesson is you've got 30 years and you've got almost no people around and that multiple populations are thriving. Yep, that, that's really the lesson, Peter. I mean, which, what we're really seeing, like, I know some of the data for the wolves are the best, but there are ungulates around, small mammals, and also some birds is that somehow these animals survived the nuclear holocaust and then they were able to live and reproduce. And like I said, I mean, when I first heard about this, I was absolutely shocked. I just thought it would be just, you know, in a sense, a forever wasteland. But the bottom line lesson is that these animals can do quite well without us, which which isn't really a mind blower, but um, it's just interesting to actually have a sort of experiment that shows that that's the case. Mark, aren't there other similar experiments that have happened uh, that support this? Yeah, there are places where, you know, biologists, field biologists have built, some call them exclusion fences, you know, basically, you know, basically it's to keep animals in and humans out, but, um, and shown that populations of animals will flourish without us being around. So, so the fact that they do well without us, like I said, is just not really so mind-blowing. I mean, what's really amazing is that somehow these animals were able to survive the nuclear holocaust and, and thrive, you know, and reproduce and have future generations who are reproducing. So, you know, combined with 
experiments where they put up these fences to keep, basically to keep humans out, and the Chernobyl, it, it really underscores the fact that humans are having a really negative effect. And, you know, this is called the Anthropocene. People call it the Anthropocene, the age of humanity, and, and I'm calling it the Anthropocene, the rage of humanity, because that's what it is, because we're losing species at, and habitats at an unprecedented rate. Um, two other examples where there seems to be increased biodiversity. One is the no-fly zone um, between North and South Korea, and the other is outside of the Guant Guantanamo's prisons, um, where once again, you know, there aren't a lot of human, there's not a lot of human activity. So, you know, combined with experiments, and then you have these more naturally occurring things, uh, in, you know, they're not really, I suppose you might argue that they're natural, but you have these things happen where there aren't humans and you see animals thriving. It just underscores just the devastating effect that we're having on animals in the Anthropocene, you know, the age of humanity, or I call it the rage of humanity. Mark, what could you say further about something, something in the middle where one might argue, well, we need to manage wild populations. Uh, we need to keep certain populations in check through legal hunting, for instance. Does this experiment impact on that argument? You know, it's always tricky because as a biologist, I mean, I'm an ethologist, but I do a lot of conservation work. There's often a blurry line between management and conservation. And so, you know, given the world today, we probably do have to do some management. The problem is, is the management usually is for, well, turns out to be for the humans, not the non-human animals. And the other aspect of management is often killing one species to save another species. Right. And so, I don't. I'm I'm against that totally. So, because we're such a human-dominated world, and we're becoming an increasingly human-dominated world then we do have to step in somehow. But I would like to see us step in to work for the animals, not the human, work for the non-human animals, not the human animals. And, you know, frankly, there's more and more people who are taking that approach, but still there's people out there to manage, you know, like the, so there was this egregious study done in Canada where almost 900 wolves were killed and, you know, they were saying they were killing them you know, to save an endangered um, deer species, a caribou species. But in fact, what came out was they were managing and killing the wolves for the timber industry. So the conservation aspects of that saving, you know, a species of ungulate by killing the wolves was just a big lie. And so that's why I'm always very cautious when people say we have to manage because management almost invariably is synonymous with killing. Very interesting. Mark Beckoff, thank you so much. And thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. 